turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Well, we made it to Friday. Welcome back. Friday, October 6, 2023. October 6, David, you reminded me that's a date that uh, rings familiar to a lot of people, right? 50th anniversary of the uh, Yom Kippur War in Israel, right? Yes, a day which will live in infamy for a certain people. Yeah, right. On the Jewish, uh, on the holiest day of the year in Jewish history, several Arab armies attacked by surprise to liquidate Israel. 3,000 Israelis were killed. Golda Meir was prime minister, and Richard Nixon did everything he could to uh, empty the cupboard of the uh, Defense Department to uh, save that country. It was a little bit of an interesting tension between he and Kissinger on that. And for many years... Um, People spoke of Richard Nixon's uh, anti-Semitism, which I remember one of his chief counsels said, Leonard Garment, uh, said was misplaced. Not true. Um, Richard Nixon uh, was one of the most beloved presidents uh, in the country of Israel because of what he did. I believe uh, there was a stamp, an Israeli stamp with his image and likeness. Um, and uh, and it wasn't that he was anti-Semitic, Leonard Garman said, and he just hated everyone equally. <laughs> <laughs> he just hated everyone, but he lo- loved Israel and um, loved our ally. He and Kissinger fought about this because uh, Nixon overruled Kissinger, and Nixon said, uh, we're going to do the right thing and we're going to save that country. It's an ally of ours after all. Not what I meant to start with, but David, you're such the historian and you were uh, pushing me on that. We're going to have an interesting uh, different uh, show today. Uh, We're going to have two special guests in studio in our second hour. Speaker of the House of the Arizona uh, Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives Ben Toma will be joining me with Chairman of the House Arizona House Judiciary Committee Quan Nguyen. We're going to talk about communism. These are two men who uh, fled. Uh, communism, whose families fled communism from different continents uh, with, interestingly, much the same story, uh, because never has it been more alive and well and uh, unresponded to uh, in this country as it is now. Um, It's an important thing to think about. Um, George Clooney can make his movies about uh, McCarthyism. Uh, It is much worse now much more present now, communism, not anti-communism, but communism itself, much more present here than many of us ever thought it could be. We're going to talk to them about that. And then, of course, our usual Friday visit with uh, Rabbi Pinchas Salush to get us into the Sabbath uh, mood and mode for the weekend. I was just thinking back about the week, no formal uh, monologue today. Your call, 602-508-0960, anything you'd like to talk about, happy to. Pregnant week, my gosh, uh, starting with, uh, um, of course, uh, a new senator appointed uh, in California, uh, the uh, um, ouster of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and all the fighting over that. And uh, then uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, uh, doing a complete 180-degree turn not only against political promises but against the environmental communities he was 
trying to keep pacified as well as the illegal immigrant advocacy communities he was pacifying in the radical left, the uh, construction of a border barrier wall in Texas. And, of course, uh, him saying uh, completely opposite things from his Secretary of Homeland Security. You wonder how how much longer we can go on with these kinds of throws we are being – these kinds of tempests we are putting th- being put through. But, you know, if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough um, to deal with this week, uh, I, I don't know what the phrase for it is. Let's just put the stressors on a little bit more because with all that, you think there was one thing we didn't need. What was it, Mr. Bill? I bet you could think of what's the one thing this week was missing with all that. The one thing this week was missing. Well, here's a suggestion. See if I can uh, get it for us. Very strong partisans in both parties in the past. Uh, And we had very. Yeah. Hillary Clinton. Over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm-hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how do you- That's it. Yes. Deprogramming of the cult members. It wasn't uh, enough that uh, she called half the country deplorable for supporting the Republican Party. Now we're cult members that need re. Programming. Marching orders from Donald Trump. Marching orders from Donald Trump. Um, can anyone in this audience think of one order he has given us? One order he has given us that we are marching to? Marching orders from – she just says these things. What is it, uh, What is it, Bill? What's that phrase I like to use? Uh, 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 exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. They they just say these things that upon examination mean absolutely nothing. If you want cultish following of political leadership, uh, I suggest that you look to such people as Bernie Sanders. I suggest you look to such people as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I suppose you look to the kinds of people that still think Hillary Clinton has something valid to say and is a worthwhile interview. I suggest you ask yourself why Hillary Clinton is so respected, having accomplished – name me one thing. Name me one thing she accomplished. Even her own husband, when he was the president of the White House – had to push her health care plan aside as it was turning the country into a Republican House of Representatives. Uh, when she was Secretary of State, please tell me one great accomplishment of hers as Secretary of State. Was Libya a great accomplishment? They now have three people vying to be pri- claiming to be prime minister in Libya. Uh, was um, was was Libya a good thing? How about the Russian re- – for the woman who thinks that Russia was so appeased by Donald Trump and that Don- Donald Trump went 
to Russia with such hat in hand. Who was it who brought the reset button and tried to reset relations with Vladimir Putin? That would have been Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. That would have been Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Who was it who called the butcher of Syria, Assad, a reformist we can trust? That would have been Hillary Clinton. Name me one thing she's done well. And the reason I keep asking that question, one success she's had, one, name me one. The reason I keep asking it is because she seems to have a cultish following over nothing, over nothing. Not one single accomplishment need to be deprogrammed. My goodness gracious, this is the stuff of the left. This is not the stuff of the Make America Great Again uh, Republican Party or the Republican Party generally. She she got the talking points. You heard her in the interview with Christiane Amanpour. She said these extremists, these MAGA extremists. I bet you Hillary Clinton, if examined, if in a real interview, were to be asked, what does MAGA represent to you? She would say, well, it means a whole host of things, and then blather on her. I bet she couldn't state one single policy. I don't even know if the Democrats today anymore remember when they use this term MAGA, if they even know what it's an acronym for. I really bet they don't. I bet you could embarrass the hell out of the president of the United States if you wanted to by asking him what MAGA means. What does MAGA mean? He likes to talk about it a lot. What does it mean? You want cultish following. You want a cultish following. Listen to every single Democrat say the same exact thing about the Republican Party. That's a cult. They are all singing from the same book. That's a cult that we need to be deprogrammed. My gosh. My gosh. Who are the ones trying to force a singular curriculum in our schools and say that the parents don't have a right to advocate for what should be in the curriculum. Does that sound like freedom or does that sound like a cult to you? When people and a party and a movement talk the way they do about transgender issues, does that sound like a cult to you or does that sound like free thinking to you? When they use these terms that were just invented over the last three or four years with such Orwellian ardence, what side of the political alignment is using those terms and that terminology and going along with it in a repetitive loop as if it actually means something important? Is that the sign of freedom or is that the sign of a cult? Anyway, anything... You guys want to talk about Open Lines Friday, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You were giving me some guff about that, huh? You didn't like me adding rebound? You know what? Add a live version or replace that with a live version. It'll, it'll be it'll be push a little harder. She's great. Why don't you like Reba McIntyre? I didn't say I didn't Yeah, like you denigrated her. I said that I think she did better on her television show she than didn't. she did. No, as, as a 75 million recordings sold. Can we get a live version of that instead uh, to replace we, we it? We can work on that. All right, this that, is a discussion that we need to hash out. It, 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 I've hashed it out. You've hashed it out, yeah. It may be uh, the era in which I was growing up as well. Uh, there were, uh, you know, I was of the Yesterday. late 90s and early 2000s when the television show would have been on air. Uh, So perhaps I remember it a bit more. I know that our good friend Terry and colleague in the office also enjoys the television show. 
Well, it was probably pretty popular, but she's not on The Voice for no reason. She she was one of the best concerts I ever went to. is called Ladies Night Out. It was it was uh, Reba McIntyre, Martina McBride, and Sarah Evans. That was a hell of a show. That sounds like a show we need some audio. That, that from, was yeah. a great show. Yeah, they're great. Those three, uh, Reba, fantastic. Uh, had a terrible story. I think she she had a qu- uh, almost a uh, Buddy Holly story. I think she lost her whole band on a flight once. She was not on that flight. I think I'm right about that. Anyway, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open lines, whatever's on your mind, 602-508-0960. Hillary is calling you a cultist. Uh, by the way, uh, yes, right, someone uh, just emailed me. What do you call uh, the movement that engaged in such shaming during the COVID shutdowns, lockdowns, and mediation policies. Did that seem a little cultish to you? Bethany Mandel says, I never understood the forced toddler masking, how we moved from can to should to must. Well, that's kind of a little bit like the uh, the progressive dialectic that we speak of from time to time. You first deny what's being, what is being alleged, then you defend What's being alleged is just as justifiable and important, and then you mandate it, and then you mandate it. Remember, vaccine. No, these governors, these 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 blue state governors, are now in in the mode of saying we never mandated anything. No, no, no. It wasn't a mandate uh, when it came to vaccines. You just didn't get to go to work. You just would lose your job if you didn't do it. You had to choose between um, an injection or feeding your family. Uh, yes, Lloyd Billingsley on Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton recently told CNN's Christiane Amanpour that supporters of Donald Trump were cult extremists and, quote, at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, as we played the audio in the last segment. In its report on the exchange, Fox News recalled Clinton's statement that Trump supporters were a basket of deplorables, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. If the deplorables wonder where this caustic brand of abuse comes from, know that Paul Johnson was all over it in his book, Modern Times. He wrote, Freud betrayed signs, in fact, of the 21st century ideologue at his worst, namely a persistent tendency to regard those who diverge from him as themselves unstable and in need of treatment. Freud told Carl Jung that his inclination was, quote, to treat those colleagues who offer resistance exactly as we treat patients in the same situation. As Johnson noted, two decades later, the notion of regarding dissent as a form of mental illness suitable for compulsory hospitalization was to blossom in the Soviet Union into a new form of political repression. That is what the First Lady is preaching at a time when the FBI regards anyone less than worshipful of Joe Biden as a domestic terrorist, violent, violent extremists, and the like. Hillary Clinton didn't specify what formal deprogramming looks like, but um, there are models from recent times, as Mark Hendrickson explains. One Soviet technique of oppression was to declare that dissidents were insane. They were then incarcerated in psychiatric hospitals where they were tormented and tortured. Some were used as human guinea pigs for dangerous experiments. We still know the name Vladimir Bukovsky, who spent a dozen years being shuffled between Soviet jails, labor camps, and psychiatric hospitals. One of the therapies was 
One of the therapies was putting a cord into Bukowski's mouth, threading it from his throat up through the nasal passages and then drawing it out through one of his nostrils. Alas, this communist treatment did not cure Bukowski of his rational abhorrence of tyranny and brutality. The type of formal deprogramming Clinton seeks could be promoted as public health issue and imposed under the regime of white coat supremacy. That regime remains in place even after the alleged retirement of Dr. Anthony Fauci, the loathsome Lyshenko figure who claims to represent science. Yes, we have spoken about what took place in the Soviet Union treating political dissension as a mental illness. It was later to be known as the abuse of psychiatry, the abuse of medicine, And, of course, you're seeing that very thing take place now with the way medical fields, particularly in psychiatry and psychology, are talking about children with regard to the transgender issue. You are seeing it, and it's a a beginning of the abuse of the language, the misuse and the change of the language. It's all very quite Orwellian, as we've spoken before. Orwell writes in 1984, it's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? I want people to remember that. Narrow the range of thought. When Hillary Clinton speaks, when the First Amendment is and your First Amendment rights are censored, when the government tries to engage in campaigns against misinformation and disinformation, which are little more, in fact, nothing more, than the reaction towards political dissent to what they are saying and the orthodoxy of the administration, when they engage in this, they are engaging in newspeak, trying to narrow the range of thought. Orwell concludes that passage in 1984 by writing, in the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Watch this change of language we are going through. Watch the misuse and abuse of language we are going through. As Emerson put it, uh, excuse me, as as, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson once put it, the uh, corruption of language precedes the corruption of man. As Confucius put it, when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. It is much of this as to why I want to speak with Speaker of the House, Ben Toma, and Chairman of the Judiciary um, here at the Arizona House of Representatives, Quan Wynn, uh, in the next hour, which we will. This creeping socialism and communism in our country continues apace. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open lines Friday. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Anything on your mind? Anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, we um, are living in a uh, privileged time, but a declining privileged time because of great scholars uh, who are aging out, the greatest scholars uh, perhaps of the 20th and 21st century who are aging out and fading. Uh, There are precious few left. I could name maybe only a handful, one of them at age 93, still going very strong. I heard interviewed by Dennis Prager yesterday is Thomas Sowell, classically educated, brilliant man, has a brand new book out, Social Justice Fallacies. You want to see how smart this guy is. 
people think, well, he's an economist. A smart, he's far more than a smart economist. If you want to see something uh, special, uh, go to uh, cspan.org or YouTube if you like and go back to the Robert Bork hearings at the Supreme Court, the Robert Bork Supreme Court nomination hearings, 1986, I believe, or 87. And uh, Thomas Sowell decided he would testify all alone on behalf of Robert Bork, and he'd take on the entire Democratic Party on the Judiciary Committee, you know, your Ted Kennedys and your Joe Bidens, and oh my gosh, it's a master class. Just watch that man take them on. Now, little good it did. Democrats, if we're going to use the word cult, they wouldn't listen to a single answer he gave or any reason whatsoever. They had their decision made just as soon as Ronald Reagan nominated Robert Bork, making the idea of a hearing absurd. I mean, the idea of a hearing, just think about what a hearing is. It's to hear someone out. That is the point of a hearing. Anyone who has watched Democrats run a hearing where there are conservatives testifying or anyone who has watched a hearing where a conservative is testifying and the Democrats are running the committee, the last thing they want is to hear them out. I had experience with this at the state legislature a couple months ago, but on and on. You can see this in Washington, D.C. Anyway, uh, watch Mr. Sowell, watch Dr. Sowell uh, testifying on behalf of Robert Bork, far more than just an economist. Anyway, his new book, Social Justice Fallacies, highly recommended. I um, was reading a piece about it in the Wall Street Journal today. He describes the central fallacy of social justice advocacy as the assumption that disparities are strange and that in the normal course of events, we would expect people to be pretty much randomly distributed in various occupations, income levels, and institutions. But that's an assumption based on hope rather than experience or even hard evidence. He writes, we can read reams of social justice literature without encountering a single example of proportional representation of different groups in endeavors open to competition in any country in the world today or at any time over thousands of years of recorded history. He acknowledges that exploitation and discrimination exist and contributed to disparate outcomes, but he notes that these vices, quote, are in fact among many influences that prevent different groups of people, whether classes, races, or nations, from having equal or even comparable outcomes in economic terms or other terms. For Mr. Sowell, Jason Riley writes in the Wall Street Journal, the tremendous variety of geographic, cultural, and demographic differences amongst groups makes anything approximating an even distribution of preferences, habits, and skills close to impossible. The progressive left holds up as a norm a state the world has never seen and regards as an anomaly something seen in societies all over the world and down through history. He writes, there's this sort of mysticism that disparities must show that someone's done something wrong. The social justice vision starts off by reducing the search for causation to a search for blame. And for so much of what happens, there just simply is no blame. To illustrate the point, on racial fallacies, Dr. Sowell writes, statistical differences between races are not automatically due to race, either in the sense of being caused by genetics or being a result of, of racial 
discrimination. Liberals argue that higher black poverty rates are mainly a product of slavery, Jim Crow, and systemic racism, yet there are pockets of the United States populated almost exclusively by white people who experience no racism and who nevertheless earn significantly less and do much less on other SE, social economic factors, than black Americans. Well, anyway, Mr. Sowell is a tremendous scholar at age 93 with this grand, brand new great book, Social Justice Fallacies. We treasure him as we worry that there are too few of him left. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. David Dahl, I don't even know if I introduced you at the beginning. Did I do my typical? I think I just went right to it. So. I don't know, but I'm still here. You are? What's your political – Mr. Bill and, of course, Terry. Uh, what What does your political pin say? Today? I've got Udall for president. Udall for president. Yes. 1976? 1976. 1976. Remember when I was a Democrat. When you were a Democrat. Yeah, as a young kid, I um, – Udall. I was a Democrat as a young kid, I mean, to the degree that it mattered. I don't – yeah, it was – yeah, I was probably like sixth grade there was an election year. I think it might have been 1980. Yeah, that sound right? Yeah. And um, I had my mom take me down. My mom was a big liberal and uh, take me down to the Democratic Party headquarters <laughs> – and Oof. yeah, I wanted to pick up literature and paraphernalia, and uh, I picked up. She was she got into talking with one of the people there. You know, <laughs> she found someone she could relate to. I guess. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> never mind our strained relationship. And I was wandering around the you know the the DN the Democratic Party headquarters here, and uh, was picking up. Uh, uh, yeah, bumpers. Bumper stickers and pins, and I and I picked up a few bumper stickers. On Do you the, still have any of those pins? I, I know a guy I, I, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. And I remember picking up a bumper, carrying a bumper sticker out. And she goes, uh, "Let me see which one you got." And I and it was a Udall bumper sticker. You lived in Phoenix, though, right? Yeah, he he wouldn't have been in your constituency. No, but it was, was at the headquarters. Yeah. It was at the headquarters, and That's pretty um, cool, though. and I said, she said, I, it was a Udall bumper sticker, and she goes. Oh, you'd all. That's okay. We can use that one. <laughs> I guess the way I, I wasn't smart enough, or I don't have a memory good enough to remember who the Democrats were that she wouldn't have wanted me to get a bumper sticker maybe, uh, for. I just can't. Kennedy or something that year. I yeah, don't yeah. know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. 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 More than him being a local Arizona guy, though, I do wear his pin for a reason this week. Oh, why? Because he also tried and failed to challenge the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Oh, was there a pooch? Did you know that? Was there a pooch from Udall? Yes. In 1969, he tried to elevate himself to the speakership and challenged uh, Speaker John McCormick. No kidding. Who was uh, darn near senile. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. No um, kidding. But the John McCormick was also a Democrat. I've, well, sure. I remember. And, uh, sure. Udall failed. The Democratic caucus got behind McCormick and uh, – McCormick was forced to take an early retirement, which brought us the first Speaker of the House to receive Secret Service protection. Tip No, it's Carl Albert. Oh, Carl Albert. Yes. Really? Okay. 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 Good work, David. I um, I don't remember Udall being very charismatic, but the reputation was he was very funny. But I, I liked his uh, episode of I, Firing Line. Oh, God. I wanted to... 
put a pencil in my eye. It was so t- boring. boring. Yes. Well, it's a lot of environmental issues. So he was sort of a one-issue candidate in 76. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Environment. Nearly half of Americans age 18 to 29 are living with their parents. Does that surprise you? I'm in the other half. You're in the other half. Nearly half of Americans age 18 to 29 are living with their parents. The it doesn't tre- surprise me, though. Yeah, I'm looking at this. QZ.com. The trend to move back in with mom and dad is pushing up discretionary spending. This is a tremendous, tremendous and concerning number. I remember when there was justification a week ago. Do people even remember this story happened a week ago when it was discovered that uh, Hunter Biden received wire from communist China that was uh, a wire into his account but listed his address as his dad's, Joe Biden's residence? And the defending point was from Karen Jean-Pierre. Karen Jean-Pierre, the defending point was, well, he lives with his parents as so many Young divorced men do. <laughs> young divorced man. He was fifty. Young man. But, the, but that. But she was on. I guess to something I didn't realize, which was that there is this huge trend of young people, not Hunter Biden young, but young, eighteen to twenty nine, moving back to their parents, into their to live with their parents. There was movies made fun of this stuff five years ago. Remember, Bill? Failure to launch and stuff like that. This was a laugh line. Five years ago, with the, the sissification of the young adult male, Go with the ahead. Biden economy, rent prices rent prices yeah. have skyrocketed. Yeah, well, within the past, I mean, three years. Yeah, but, and not to mention housing prices. So it it really is a problem, and I think that that is what causes a lot of young people to. It, it doesn't. Look. It's laziness. Get a roommate. You know, I would no sooner think of graduating college only to move back with my parents. If I had that and the choice of working a little harder, even two jobs, and getting a roommate. Adam Carolla talks about this, doesn't he, Bill? He lived with like three guys and worked three jobs. He wasn't going to live at home. It was unheard of to do that. Unheard of. And you have, of course, this amazing workforce, eligible workforce of young adults, historically unprecedented high number who simply are not looking for work because they'd rather live with their parents and they'd rather live in the basement and they'd rather be playing video games and they'd rather be tanking pain medication while they're doing it and they'd rather be living off the government, which you can do. You can do. You can amass enough money through the federal and state agencies and state uh, subventions to earn just enough to live in a basement. Young David, don't cosmologize the deficiencies of your generation. Please. No, that's ex- actually exactly what I was getting to. And I was saying, which is causing a lot of young people to turn to candidates like RFK Jr., yeah. who wants to use the federal government to intervene into housing prices yeah. and uh, cause a lot of uh, uh, price control. Do you know what RFK Jr.'s dad said was the wel- best welfare program? It was in almost every speech on domestic policy. His dad, Robert Kennedy Jr., his dad, Robert Kennedy, Kennedy. Senator Robert Kennedy in 1968, speech after speech after speech. You know what he said the best welfare program was? was, I'll take a guess. Yeah. Uh, as as uh, President Reagan said, I believe the best social program is a job. Is it that? That's exactly what he said. The best welfare program is a job, is a job. 
We've destroyed the work ethic here. COVID didn't help. We told people it was unimportant to work. It was unimportant to go to work. It was unimportant to look for work. It was unimportant to have work available to you, just as we did with schools. Unimportant to go to school. You can do it all from home. Well, you know what? This is such a fragile people. Talk about a cult, Hillary Clinton. They will listen to these things. That You can change a culture in the snap of a finger or in the snap of two years. It's frightening. It's frightening. I'm looking for the change agency to get us back to where we were, back to the martial virtues and the rugged individualism. We'll be right back. Is that the new Seekers? Those are the old Seekers? Yeah, right. You told me that there was a Yes, I did figure this out. Yeah. So uh, our, our, the show's good friend Tiffany yeah. is a fan of The Seekers. Yeah. And I said, oh, I know one of their songs. It was, and I told her the yeah. whole thing about this she having said, come no, out of a commercial. The she says, no, that's The New Seekers. Yeah, why are and all I said, what? Why are, and she says, there was, a, there was The Seekers and why, The New Seekers. Why are all her music suggestions bad? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Portions of this show brought to you by <laughs> Y-Refi. Let me put this together. What a great... Great group, active in our community with bank failures and stock market volatility and a possible recession and inflation. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve? That is why refi, that's what they have. A portfolio not correlated to the market or the reserve, Federal Reserve. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There's no penalty or loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, a due diligence approved firm, where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. Look what I found, young David. Look at what I found. Robert Kennedy, 1968, campaign ad titled Jobs, Not Welfare. Listen to what he said. Means jobs that are going to lead to something and where there are promotions and there is ability to continue up the scale. The welfare system does nothing. Give somebody a dole. It's a payoff. You stay quiet and we'll give you a payoff every week. I think we should get away from the welfare system. Obviously, some welfare is going to be necessary for either for children or the blind or the disabled. But we should get away from the welfare system and have a job system instead of that. And I think what we did is accept what the uh, philosophy of the 1930s and feel that that's acceptable in the late 1960s and the 1970s. And my judgment, it is not. I think it's uh, it's, uh, bankrupts the state, bankrupts the community, and bankrupts the country. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Oregon, that was uh, fielded in the state of Oregon, 1968. The closing caption is, Oregon can help choose the next president of the United States. Would you care to email that to his son? Uh, I know, right? You stay quiet and we'll give you a check. Well, it is in stark contrast to the Johnson administration. Yeah, and what a a thing to say that the economics of the the economic uh, welfare society of the 1930s is not appropriate for the 1960s. How much more so a fortiori, we would say in law, to the 2000s. 
Okay, we'll be right back. Something really special coming up with uh, Chairman Quan Win from the Arizona House Judiciary Committee and House of Representatives Speaker of the House, Ben Toma. <laughs> 